Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And we got a great show for you on our latest podcast. I'll be joined by Maryland head coach, Mark Turgeon. Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana will also join me. I'm going to do my final Cats ranks of our dream player. We've done all 10 categories that I've provided for these coaches over the last 10 weeks. And the last category is team captain. So you'll hear that top 10 of the team captains that I'm picking of the last 10 years in college basketball. Also, we're going to start our top 20 returning players now that we're past the early entry withdrawal date for the NBA draft. So we're going to go from 20 to 16 on this podcast. Before we get to that, I have to address the great news in college basketball. And that is people want to play in college basketball. Okay, so let's stop, please, with the NBA draft folks. And I'm someone who covers the NBA draft for NBA TV, okay? And trying to sully the game here. The bottom line is we don't know if there's going to be a G League. And I'm going to tell you right now on this podcast, I don't think there's going to be a G League next season. We don't know when the NBA is going to start. And I'm going to tell you right now, it may not start before March 1st. It may start on Martin Luther King weekend in January, maybe February. But don't be surprised if it doesn't start till March 1st. But as Dan Gavitt, the NCAA senior vice president, said, there will be a college basketball season. There will be an NCAA tournament. Right now, it's scheduled, obviously, for early April. Could that be moved? Yes. Will it be? We don't know. Will it be conference-only games? We don't know. But there will be a season. There will at least be conference games, possibly non-conference. He's still saying November 10th. So what does that mean? If you look at what happened this past weekend, the early entry deadline was August 3rd. That was Monday. Technically, players still could declare for the NBA draft on the NBA's rules on August 17th because the draft isn't until October 16th. But if you wanted to go back to college, you had to say by August 3rd. And all these players have said they're still going to go to college basketball, return to their teams. That is significant because they believe there's a season. I'm going to rattle off this list, okay? There was really only, you could maybe Robert Woodward from Mississippi State. To me, the most significant name that left was Xavier Tillman over the weekend from Michigan State. But listen to these names that are coming back. Luca Garza, Iowa. Io DeSumo, Illinois. Kofi Coburn, Illinois. Aaron Henry, Michigan State. Corey Kispert, Gonzaga. Jared Butler, Baylor. Jalen Crutcher, Dayton. Javante Smart, LSU. Marcus Carr, Minnesota. Isaiah Joe, Arkansas. Jay Huff, Virginia. A.J. Green, Northern Iowa. Kobe Ross, Pepperdine. John Petty, Alabama. Matt Mitchell, San Diego State. Remy Martin, Arizona State. Keith Williams, Cincinnati. McKinley Wright IV, Colorado. And deeper last week, Isaiah Livers, Michigan. All of those players could compete for all-conference and player of the year in their conference, respectively, 
at their position. That is significant. That is great for the game. This is all positive news for college basketball. We're going to talk a little bit about this with Trey Saxon Davis, who didn't even want to mess with the NBA, with Mark Turgeon from Maryland, who's happy to hear that even other people in the Big Ten are coming back. This is all good news. So let's get to the good news, and let's get to Trace Jackson Davis coming back for his sophomore season at Indiana. Trace, let's first go back to your decision to not pursue the NBA draft, uh, to return to Indiana for your second season. What went into that decision? Uh, Really just the simple fact with the virus and everything going down. I didn't know when there was going to be a combine, if there was going to be a combine. And so, like, making a decision, I was really kind of putting it off. And then all of a sudden, it was a last-minute thing. And I was like, I just might as well go back to school. Um, NBA is going to be there, so uh, I can wait another year. Yeah, I mean, as of now, all plans are for us to have a college basketball season. Uh, We don't even know when the NBA season is going to start because they're in the bubble. We don't know if they're going to start. I mean, they're highly unlikely to start on time. Are they going to start at Christmas? Are they going to start in January? Um, That aspect of the uncertainty, how much did that creep into your head about when even next season would start, let alone a combine? Um, yeah, it was like, it was really iffy. Um, Coach Miller really put a big emphasis, especially this summer, just working out and um, just getting better every day and just trying to like make things normal, act like there's going to be a season right when it starts. So just, we just got to be prepared for it. So Trace, um, history shows that players like yourself, the jump from freshman to sophomore season is significant. I mean, let's just look in the big 10, the last two bigs at Maryland, Bruno Fernando, Jalen Stick-Smith, their jump from freshman to sophomore year was significant. Uh, Clearly, Fernando, his draft status increased. We expect the same for Stick-Smith. What have you seen, uh, you know, and I know you haven't been around that long here in terms of Big Ten basketball or college basketball, but what have you seen as to that jump from freshman to sophomore year? Um, What I've really seen is really like with players like, like you said, Stick Smith, Daniel Arturo, Caleb Wesson, their ability to stretch the floor and being able to shoot the three and it really opens up things for their team. And so that's why they're all really good teams this year. So that's really what I've been working on a lot this summer. Yeah, the Arturo example is another great example of his improvement from freshman to sophomore year. You saw that firsthand uh, when you played Minnesota. Um, So you specifically. What do you think you did well as a freshman? What could you do even better as a sophomore? Um, what I think I did well as a freshman, I thought I brought great energy. Um, I ran the floor hard, just trying to be an energy giver for my teammates. Um, I shot pretty well at the line. Um, that I struggled with that in high school. Um, but some things I can improve on just defensively, being in gaps better, um, help side defense, being able to stretch the floor, like I said, something that I needed to work on and I've been working on this summer. Um, those are probably the main things that I'm trying to work on right now. You know, the first couple of months of this pandemic, it was very difficult to work out. I don't care who you were, even if you had a hoop in front of your house. Um, What were you able to accomplish in those first few months? And what have you been able to accomplish since you've been back on campus under the controlled environment of at least being in a gym at a high level at Indiana? Um, I have a gym, so I was able to get shots up. I didn't have a weight room, though, so no no lifting. So that was bad. But um, then getting back on campus and getting with our coaches, um, just five straight weeks of being able to lift and work out, that's really helpful for us, especially because a lot of schools got shut down. But we're able to ride the wave and be able to like make it through our whole summer training session. We end tomorrow. So look, Trace, uh, life is going to be different in the short term. 
Uh, what's it been like to go through workouts in a very controlled, uh, protocol-driven environment at Indiana? Um, it's been actually pretty good. I think our coaches have handled it really well. Uh, a lot of our players have adjusted to it. Freshmen have been great. They've been working out really hard. Um, so everyone's just trying to push each other to be better. So as long as we keep the same energy up, then I think uh, we'll be good. You know, look, Trace, I'm not worried about when you guys are practicing or competing. I'm worried about the other 20 hours of the day. I mean, that seems to be when things go awry. Um, how confident are you? And you can't speak for the rest of the sport, obviously, but at least at Indiana, that your teammates will take care of business uh, and treat this seriously when you're not on the floor, when there isn't someone sanitizing everything, keeping distance, masks, and all that kind of thing, when you're out on your own? I think all of us are a collective group um, where it's almost business-like. Um, our coach really just, he sends us messages every day saying, be smart, do the right things. I think we hold each other accountable. So um, I don't think anyone will do anything stupid, but um, we're always checking in on each other and make sure of that. And, and lastly, Trace, I'm really high on Indiana. I mean, you and Joey Brunk, Race Thompson, so you factor him in. Look at the perimeter uh, with, um, Ra, uh, excuse me, uh, Al Durham, Rob Finnessy. Now you had Christian Lander. Uh, then you got Hunter and Franklin as sort of, you know, role guys. or see where they fit in. Uh, you know, this definitely feels like, and that's Jerome Hunter and Armani Franklin. Um, uh, you know, what do you see right now in terms of, because you're there on the ground, I'm not. I'm just looking at what I think is coming back. How optimistic are you that this is a team once we get to that season, that certainly could compete at the highest level of the Big Ten. Definitely. Um, I think we're, especially at the end of the year last year, I feel like we were really hungry. Um, we we're trying to prove some people wrong. But um, coming back from the summer, I think everyone's fresh and they're ready to go, especially me being able to play one Big Ten season and get that under the belt and knowing what to expect this year. And a lot of other players like Jerome Hunter, who wasn't able to play last year, um, and then coming back this year and being able to play. So um, just getting that experience under our belt. Um, I know new guys like Christian Lander, um, he's going to be a big piece for us. Um, he's he's working out really hard right now, so he's going to be a really good player. But um, right now, I really expect big things from us. That's what I like to hear. Uh, optimism for everything, and uh, you're agreeing with me. Uh, all right, Trace Jackson Davis, one of our top 20 returning players for college basketball for the 2021 season from Indiana. Most importantly, stay safe, Trace. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Andy Katz for March Madness and March Madness 365 with a top 20 returning player countdown, 20 to 16. Let's start at number 20. The oh, where was that going? I thought that pass was going to the stands. Sports Center top 10. Hear my voice. Nomination, James Booknight. James Booknight from UConn, the six foot four sophomore guard. Averaged 13 points a game this past season for Dan Hurley and the Huskies. And in one of his last games this past season, he had 17 points and seven boards against Houston. UConn now entering the Big East, a guard-dominated league, and they've got a really good one in book night. At number 19. Look at Shibway hustling to get it back. Oh! And the smile from Shibway on the way down. My goodness! One of the best rebounders in the country, Oscar Shibway from West Virginia. Averaging 11 points, 9.3 rebounds a game for the Mountaineers. He is an immovable force for West Virginia inside. At number 18. Flyers down one. Crutcher for the lead. He goes. Oh. Point 
One seconds left. Crutcher nails a three for the Dayton Flyers. Jalen Crutcher from Dayton. Now, last season, of course, Obi Toppin got all the headlines for the Flyers, the National Player of the Year, but Crutcher was an instrumental part of the Flyers possibly being a number one seed. He's back for his senior season, withdrew from the NBA draft, averaging 15 a game, 4.9 assists, and only 2.1 turnovers a game. And number 17. Here's Ross, spins back. Ross to the bucket, and a foul! <laughs> 42 for Kobe Ross. Kobe Ross from Pepperdine, one of the best-kept secrets in the country. He had four games last season with 30 or more points. And in the WCC tournament, in a double overtime loss, he had 43. He averaged 20.5 points a game, playing for Lorenzo Romar. Uh, Kobe Ross enters the WCC as one of the candidates for WCC Player of the Year. And at number 16... Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana led the Hoosiers in scoring as a freshman big, 13 points, eight rebounds a game. He's going to show tremendous improvement from his freshman to his sophomore season for Indiana and Archie Miller. And he rounds out our first five going 20 to 16 of the top 20 returning players in college basketball. And coming up next year on March Madness 365, Mark Turgeon. We're going to talk to Mark about really everything that's changed in his life and in college basketball and across this country since the sport was shut down in March. He's changed. His Maryland program has changed. All for the better. We talked to him about all of that and his dream player. That's up next here in March Madness 365. Uh, Mark, this is the last of our 10-week series of creating a dream player. Uh, so we'll get to that momentarily. Uh, but before that, uh, I want to discuss, obviously, these are unprecedented times. Um, what and, and you and I have talked uh, virtually uh, through Zoom a couple times with Anthony Cowan and, and everything that's been going on since the season was abruptly ended. But, you know, what you've been dealing with, with your staff, with your players, with COVID-19, and then obviously what bubbled up uh, right after George Floyd's murder of, of social injustice and your... Not, not your awareness, but everyone's awareness of, of making this world a better place. So let's first start there. What have you and your coaching staff been doing to adapt and to react to what we hope is changing the culture in this country? Well, we've done a lot, to be honest with you, Andy. We, um, you know, it was something um, when it first happened, um, you know, I couldn't watch the video and, and it was, it was tough to watch and finally watched a little bit of it. And one night I couldn't sleep. So I put out a statement. Um, and the, the day before I put out a statement, I was with my guys and we were doing a zoom and we were crying and doing different things and going through it. And I knew, I knew this was different, um, by the way, my players were act, reacting and, um, I was going to handle it internally and not do anything publicly, but since then I've done a lot publicly uh, with it. But what we've done, Andy, is we've really tried to educate ourselves. It, it's been a, uh, it's really been a beautiful process, to be honest with you. There was so much that I didn't know um, as a as a as a head coach that um, probably seventy five to eighty percent of my career have been African American or Black players. 
Um, there's so much I didn't know about their history. Uh, so I dove into it and, and studied and actually really uh, and enjoyed what I was, what I was learning and uh, encouraged our players to do some. And it's been a real eye-opener for a lot of us. Um, and, um, you know, we'd Zoom and we'd talk and, and um, uh, you know, we've, I guess, uncomfortable talks. Is, is really what they are, but um, I think we've been able to see things through other people's eyes, and it's really been a great experience for us. Now, we've done a couple things. One is we were reading the book uh, "Why Why We Can't Wait" by Martin Luther King. That's more about the civil rights uh, movement in the '60s, uh, but still a lot to learn um, through that. And we've gone through chapter by chapter. We're just about finished with that. Um, and that's been a really good experience for us. Um, you know, things that I didn't realize were going on, um, you know, as I was just being born, uh, into this, um, into this world. So it's been really good. Guys have been great. Uh, guys have been engaged, uh, with that. But one thing that I think that we've done, uh, that's really, it's been more, uh, <laughs> it's been terrific cause it's, it's, it's real, um, is players, coaches alike. Uh, we'll have a conversation with a different ethnicity, um, and, and we'll just start talking about it and how'd you feel about this? What do you, you know, and the conversations have been amazing. And, um, and I think that's what this world needs. You know, I, I think, you know, um, uh, you know, some of the things that are going on out there that are really good. And there's some things that are going on that, that aren't really, that aren't great, um, but I, I do think the more conversations we have and blacks and whites and, you know, just conversations and trying to educate ourselves, I think that's how it's going to be better. So it's been a, a phenomenal experience for us. Um, I think we're just getting started. It's crazy. I don't know. It's been probably nine, 10 weeks, um, but we have so much more to cover and so much more to talk about and so much more to learn. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I know everything because I don't, Um but it's been a lot of great study and, and uh, it's been a really, really good time for our team and really building a closer knit family by educating ourselves on, on racism. And, you know, the way I, I view it, Andy, I never considered myself a racist and I thought that was good enough, but I realized I had to be an anti-racist. And um, what I mean by that is like, I need to help educate uh, people and help them understand through education. And it's been, it's been a really, really great experience for me. And, and, um, uh, something I feel comfortable with now, um, got conversations with, I'll say it's exhausting, um, educating yourself and trying to educate others and, and, and be a leader. Um, it's been exhausting, but, uh, but also very fulfilling. You know, you've coached and lived all over the country. Um, and you played at obviously one of the top five uh, most successful programs in the country at Kansas. Uh, what do you remember back at that time about race relations within the locker room on campus, uh, you know, playing at a prestigious place like Kansas? Andy, I don't remember ever seeing it or being a part of it. Now, a big deal when I was there was obviously Will Chamberlain. Uh, played at Kansas, and at the time he was there, they had, you know, uh, movie theaters for blacks, movie theaters for whites. They were downtown right across the street from each other, so every time you went to a movie, 
And he said, oh, that was white and that was a black one. So you knew it was there in the past. I never felt it um, because obviously um, our basketball players at Kansas were treated like kings, white, black, it didn't matter. Um, and so I never saw it, um, but there might be some stuff now that I've educated myself that I might have now back in those days say, well, that's, that's racism. I just didn't know it. So, um, but I didn't feel it, uh, there. I felt like everybody was, uh, had an opportunity, um, among our, you know, athletes on campus and, um, and throughout the university. So what was the most sort of eye-opening or jarring statement, if you can share, or something, you know, close to that when your players opened up to you and your staff uh, when discussing this? Well, I have one kid. It's a great kid. I'm not going to use names. And um, he said the silent, you know, he goes, Coach, I'm, I'm done with it. I, the silent protesting stuff and, um, you know, uh, non-threatening protesting, th- those days are over, Coach. And uh, he said, we need to be more aggressive. And then I had another kid, young man, say, coach, it's not right. We're human, too. And the way he said it and the way it came off his tongue, it was just like, whew. The whole meeting went silent. And you're just like, oh, my God, he's absolutely right. And, you know, at the time, we were really raw. It was really emotional. So this was probably four or five days after George Floyd died, maybe three or four. I don't know exactly. Um, and we've done a weekly, sometimes twice a week zoom, even though we're back to campus together, we still do the zoom at night, um, and really talk. And it's been great to see people open up, actually educate themselves. Um, one of my assistants, um, you know, his dad was part of the civil rights movement and, you know, it was, um, nonviolent movement and he got he got beat up by some some people because he was going in nonviolent and my assistant never knew the story because he was telling his dad about all the education we're doing and it really was hard for him and we had to pray about it and talk about it and for him to talk about it on the zoom and talk about it with our team was was really moving so there's a lot of things that have, have, have come and and um um, and then I think, you know, also for the white guys on our team and for the white coaches to educate themselves and not feel so guilty um, about, I guess, the word they were using, white privilege. But just now we've educated ourselves and we, you know, we're in this fight together. We don't feel as guilty because when it first came out, you were like, oh, my gosh, you, you know, especially in my position, you felt guilty. And now I don't feel as guilty. Um you know, I could have done things better in the past. Absolutely. But I don't feel guilty moving forward um, because I, I'm on the right track and, and, and try to do the right things uh, for, you know, all people within my program, all my former players um, and their families and, and, and just trying to do the right thing. You know, one last thing, and I want to get to the other couple quick things that, that you've done uh, with other coaches you know, and this goes back to when you were playing at Kansas. I mean, they got treated like kings at Kansas. They get treated like kings at Maryland. The big question is, when they don't have that jersey on, how are they treated? And I think that's what a lot of athletes have come forward and said, that, you know, this is great the way we're treated and celebrated, but if I'm not wearing that jersey, I'm just a black man. And that can be treated, you know, I can be treated 
uh, you know, completely different in the public space. Yeah, and there's no doubt. And I think we all felt different when our in white, black, whatever, when, when the playing days were over, <laughs> uh, reality hits you right in the face. And I'm sure it hit the, the black athletes a little bit harder than it did me. Uh, but I just remember being this player, player, player. Everybody loved you. And all of a sudden, now your career's over and you got to make a living. Um, and they still loved you. They still cared. They appreciate what you did. But it was a reality check for me. Um, so I was probably even more of a reality check for some of my teammates. All right. So you teamed up with number of high-profile coaches, John Calipari, obviously, and because he, he's been very vocal about this, Tommy Amaker, uh, the McLennan Foundation, Minority Leadership Foundation, uh, which is uh, in support of providing opportunity for minorities in college athletics. We talked to Cal on this podcast a couple weeks ago on this. Um, also, the team takeover, uh, a long talk, a uh, conversation about race in America with coaches across the country. Um uh, you know, that that's, you know, that's been something that's been out there in the public space that coaches like yourself have been participating in. Uh, why the need and the want to make sure that you're involved in all of these, um, you know, the, these aspects of trying to, to really help. Yeah. So number, number one, uh, the long talk, uh, that was about educating myself. Um, and I learned so much watching videos, reading books, um, listening to music, and then the actual, you know, three days of, of class that we had, learning not only from the presenters, but also learning from the other coaches. So that was about education. And um, at the time, I was flooding myself um, with as much as I could to learn um, about racism and, you know, black history in America. So that was, that was about that. And then, uh, the John McClendon initiative and, you know, Calipari has been terrific. He's got, he's, his mind works in different ways than the rest of us. And then I think Tommy Amick has been terrific ever since the death of George Floyd. He's really stepped up, uh, and been terrific also, but this was really a no brainer because it was really a brilliant idea. So I don't know what the exact percentage is at Maryland black uh, athletes, if it's 70%, 60%, 50%, 80%, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, you know, we are unique. We have a black president. We have a black athletic director. We have a black head football coach. When I look at our athletic department and we walk into a room and there's 300 of us in there, there might be 10 blacks that work uh, for our athletic department where you know, I know it's not sport. I know they're not playing the sport, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's you know, they're in a department that's dominated by um, African-American athletes. So I think what this does, Andy, it just kind of gives young people a chance. If they want to get into administration, they want to get into sports administration, it just gives them a chance to get their foot in the door early. So it was an absolute no-brainer. Um, you know, what we were able to do, I think we have 54 coaches on board and we probably put that together in two weeks. I can't imagine what it's going to be like in the future, but hopefully it's going to make a difference. You know, you got the Rooney rule in NFL and it, does it really make a difference? I don't know if it does or not, but I do think what we're doing here with these kids, it might not show up for 10 or 15 years, but if we continue to do this over the next eight to 10 years and we bring a different young person in and give them a chance to work on our athletic department. And I'll be honest with you, our athletic department needs help. You know, so for me to put the money down so they can hire somebody that gives them one more person in the athletic department, 
you know, I think it's great. And I do think down the road, 15, 20 years, you'll see more uh, SWAs, you'll see more assistant athletic directors and hopefully more athletic directors um, of color. And, um, and that's really what we're trying to, I think, get out of this initiative. All right. So now I want to shift to the team and then we're going to get to your dream player. Uh, first of all, this past weekend was a banner weekend in the Big Ten and for college basketball. Literally the only player that I can think of of note that decided to stay in the NBA draft was Xavier Tillman. Uh, understandable, likely first round pick. He's got children, a wife, different situation. Everyone else coming back. And it's tremendous for the league and for the sport. Luca Garza, Ayo Desumu, Aaron Henry, Kofi Coburn, Marcus Carr. Uh, not that you need to hear all that because you're going to go against them. But uh, um, uh, so it, it, it's all good news. Uh, as that is the backdrop, where do you see your team fitting in from what you've been able to see at this point for this upcoming season? Well, first of all, I, I like when kids make good decisions. Um, and you had that back-to-back, by the way, with Fernando and Smith. Yeah, and that's, that's all I want. Um, for all these kids that are coming back to college or staying in the pros, I, you've got to make the best decision for you. And um, it's got to be an educated decision. So it sounds like most of these decisions were excellent decisions that were made. And my guy, Jalen, coming back after his freshman year and staying in this year, we feel like he's climbing up the charts and could be close to lottery before he's done. Um, so that's really what it's about. Uh, for coaches, we just and and hopefully most of the agents out there, they just want what's best for these kids and their future, not just in basketball but in life. So to get one more year of education, to graduate from college, I think that's really what's important. So it's great for college basketball. You're right. Is uh, it make my job a hell of a lot tougher next year? Absolutely. I think we got four teams that'll be preseason top ten, uh, and deservedly so. Um, and just will be great. Uh, Big Ten will be great again. Where are we? You know, it's hard to say, uh, Andy. Uh, we do have four starters back, good players. I, I count Aaron Wiggins as a starter. I know he was six man, but he played 32 minutes a game. Um, uh, you know, our our key is is the guy, the young guys. Um, Troll, if he can come along, he's been healthy, looks good. That's your seven foot two sophomore center. Yes, and um, you know he needs to play though. We need to get you know we can't play five on five, and um, and then a guy like Akeem Hart is he going to come along? That uh, a couple of good freshmen. We're not as talented as we've been. I don't you know I'll, I'll probably pick us around ten or eleven in the league. Uh, we feel like we have an NCAA tournament team if we all come together and we stay healthy. And uh, there's still some things that you know are still happening out there through the waiver process for us. Um, you know, if we're fortunate enough for that to happen, then we're a much deeper team, much bigger team. Uh, I think a much better team. So it's hard to tell right now, Andy, we're wearing masks, uh, in our workouts. We got one guy to go. Uh, we hope next week that we get to start playing a little bit more one-on-one, two-on-two, but, um, we have a great group of kids. Um, we can really shoot the ball. I think we'll be able to space the floor and, you know, we'll see. It's, it's definitely lost two, two great players but we have a lot of really good ones coming back. And we have time on our side, so we're going to be cautiously optimistic that we're going to have, well, I know we're going to have, it, and Dan Gavitt has said this, I believe him, in some form or fashion, we're going to have a tournament whenever it is, if it's on the dates it's supposed to be or if it's later in the year, we will have one at some point in 2021. We're going to have some form of a season. 
So let's, you know, that's going to happen in just some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get to your dream player. We've done this the last nine weeks with your uh, colleagues and peers from across the sport. Uh, this can be just Maryland. It can be Maryland, Texas A&M, Wichita State, Jacksonville State. We can go across the gamut here. So I'm going to start off, and this is creating your dream player. Who would be your playmaker? And you've had a lot of good ones. Yeah, I've had a lot of good ones. This was hard, and I, I moved some guys around. Um, and I know you can only have one, and I'm going to pick one. But Dash Harris was terrific for me at Texas A&M. He was truly just a playmaker. Uh, he was terrific and helped us win a lot of games. But I'm going to go with Anthony Cowan because uh, he got us a championship, and he just became a great playmaker uh, with the ball um, uh, for us, scoring and making plays for other people. All right. Who is Mr. Clutch? Yeah, this this was pretty simple. This was Mellow Tremble. I've never seen a guy make more big shots uh, than Mellow Tremble uh, throughout his career. The guy just, uh, no fear, uh, loved taking the big shot and just made so many, many uh, big shots for us uh, when he was here in Maryland. Another category you've had a lot of uh, candidates for, your top shooter. Uh, yeah, this was tough. I had a lot of good ones, but I got to go with Kevin Herter. Um, and the reason I'm going with Kevin, because Kevin went out to the Los Angeles Lakers at their workout for them. He broke the all-time record for most threes made or something. So he was terrific for us. You know, shot a great percentage, could shoot it from deep, put on a show a few times. But I think Kevin Herter is the best shooter I've ever coached. All right, how about your bucket getter? This player can just, you know, he can stuff the stat sheet. Yeah, I, you'll remember this guy. He was terrific for me. Donald Sloan. He could score. He could score anyway. He could make threes off the dribble. He had the, he had the floater. He had the finger roll. He had it all, man. The guy was terrific. He uh, led us in scoring his senior year. was first team all Big 12 at Texas A&M. Played in the NBA for a few years. I actually played him as a combo guard. Uh, played point guard for me his sophomore year and then kind of put him off the ball but put the ball in his hands. And that, he could just get buckets. And it didn't always look pretty. Man, it, he, he, he got buckets, and he was he was tough to guard. He was a terrific player for us. All right. Yeah, I do remember Sloan. Um, your top defender. And I'm thinking here because I got I got a rebounder, you know, rim protector kind of guy. So defender is probably leaning more on the ball. It is and it isn't because um, I wanted to get everybody in here. Um, okay, sorry. All right, this is your list, not mine. <laughs> yeah, well, I've had some great ones. Uh, Jamar Howard played for me at uh, – Wichita State was first team all league, was defender of the year uh, several times for me at Wichita State. And he was a close second. But to me, I'm going to go with Jalen Smith um, because he could block shots. His timing was terrific. And he was such a smart defender. The reason we were able to win the Big Ten this year, he was giving up 20 pounds sometimes at center position. But his knowledge, his understanding uh, defensively uh, was just terrific. And uh, I wanted to get him on this on this sheet, and I just put him down. I had him at another spot, but I just think Jamar Howard, but I'm going to go with uh, Jalen Smith and what he was able to do in just you know two short years for us. All right, top rebounder. Uh, I'm going to go with Bruno Fernando. Uh, he had a lot of double-doubles. I can't remember how many in a row he had last year. He was up for, you know, I think he finished top five centers in the country. I've had a lot of great rebounders. I've had a lot of great athletes. But I just felt like Bruno, he could get rebounds no one else could get and go get them. And Jalen Smith was close. DeAndre Jordan was close. 
But Bruno is just more consistent over his two years as a great rebounder for us. All right, so I don't know if this is for Jordan or not. Next category, your top athlete. Yeah, you nailed it. DeAndre was, they just don't build him like DeAndre. I think he was 7'1", 245 when he played for me or something like that, 250, and it was like 3% body fat. You know, and he put on more muscle. I think he's up to 270 now in the NBA. But the things that he could do at that size, um, you'd sit there and you just marvel at it. But God gave him a lot. And, of course, he's used it well uh, over his career. But my best athlete is definitely uh, DeAndre Jordan. All right. Your glue guy. Yeah, this is the guy you love. I have two of them. I got to brag about him because I want him to listen to this. P.J. Kuznard, who was on my team at Wichita State, helped lead us to the Sweet 16, made a big shot against Tennessee, big three uh, late in the game. He was an incredible glue guy for us. And, you know, P.J. helped us win a league championship. And uh, But Daryl Morsell has been an unbelievable glue, glue guy and a great leader uh, for me here. There are a lot alike, um, those two, but uh, I can combine those as my glue guy. Those guys have been Guys that just love the coach and guys that um, helped us win a lot of games. All right. Basketball IQ, an extension of you. Yeah, this will, this will kind of throw you off a little bit because he wasn't a point guard, but Chris Middleton. Chris played a little point guard on his high school team. Uh, Chris is really one of the smartest players I've ever coached. Uh, shows now what he's doing with his NBA career. Uh, but just had a great feel. When to shoot, when to pass. Great feel for the game. Defensively, he wasn't never the fastest guy, but always played from the neck up. And then just things he does, you know, scoring on the post, the way, you know, shot fakes, step throughs. The guy's, the guy's understanding is, is it was second to none. Um, he, he was really terrific. And uh, uh, he's having a great career, obviously. And he's a great kid, very humble kid. So uh, IQ would be Chris Middleton. All right. First, you got a lot. You've coached a lot of talent. That's what we're seeing here with as we compile yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of guys playing in the league, making some money around the globe. All right, your last category: your team captain. Yeah, so can I promote myself a little bit there? We do a great job of making guys better, Andy. A lot of these guys weren't supposed to be pros when we got them, and um, they got better. But Chris, Chris was terrific. This one, no one I've ever heard of. Um, kid named Cameron Ledford. Cameron was a walk-on for me at Wichita State. He's now a orthopedic surgeon in North Carolina. Cameron was on our championship team uh, in 2006 and our Sweet 16 team. Uh, just really helped me lead that team. There were some things that went on during the year that a lot of kids would have let go. He wouldn't let it go. It came to me. Uh, we made some corrections, and that's why we were able to win the league championship. And that's back when the Valley sent four teams to the state tournament and to the Sweet 16. So it was a a terrific league, and Cameron Lufford um, has obviously done really well for himself after college, was probably my best captain I've ever had. All right, an amazing list. It's a good way to sort of take stock in what you've done throughout the course of your career as, uh, as you're continuing to go forward, and you've got, you know, a great legacy so far, Mark. Yeah, it's been fun. I, you know, as I get older, uh, when I was younger, it was all about me, me, me. And I've gotten older, I realized it's all about the players and what a journey. You know, I've covered the whole country and, and love it here in Maryland. It's the best place I've been. But uh, it's been an amazing journey coaching a lot of great kids. And I look forward to the next, you know, 10 or 15 years. It should be a lot of fun. Mark, I appreciate it. Stay safe. All right, Andy, you too. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. 
All right, it's time for Cats Ranks here on March Madness 365. This is the last category of our dream player. We have done a Cats Ranks with a top 10 of each of the 10 categories that I've provided for these coaches for their dream player. So the last one is a team captain. Let's do this from 2010 on. And these are players that I think were tremendous team captains for their squad. In college basketball, don't think about the NBA. I'm going to go at number 10. Jacob Pullen for Kansas State. He was a baller. And he was an extension of Frank Martin at K-State. Sensational. Loved watching Jacob Pullen. At number nine, Kendall Marshall for North Carolina. Another extension of Roy Williams. At number eight, and there were so many to choose from for John Calipari, but he mentioned Tyler Eulis. I agree with it. He didn't get as much pub as I think he deserved during his stay at Kentucky. I'm going Tyler Eulis. At number seven, I don't think anyone thought what Fred Van Vliet is doing for the Raptors that he would do in the NBA, except for him, his coach, Greg Marshall, and the people of Wichita. He was a tremendous captain for the Wichita State Shockers and Greg Marshall. At number six, another player that made himself into an elite player, and that's Frank Mason of Kansas. What a job he did for Bill Self during his time leading KU to constant Big 12 championships. At number five, Grievous Vasquez from Maryland. I really enjoyed my time talking to Vasquez since he's left Maryland, loved covering him, just did a tremendous job for the Terps, was great uh, within everything that, uh, you know, just, 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 just lapping up that rivalry that Maryland had with all its rivals in the neighborhood. And Vasquez was a big game player. At number four, Nolan Smith, helping Duke to a national championship in 2010, an epic win over Butler. Now going to end up, I think, being a really, really good coach on the Duke staff. At number three, Ryan Archie Diacono. Um, all you need to know about Arch is that he didn't take the game-winning shot to beat North Carolina in the 2016 National Championship game. He shuffle-passed it off to Chris Jenkins. That's a captain. That's a player that knows he's going to the hot hand. Jenkins was in motion, in rhythm. Just tremendous work he did for Villanova. At number two, Cassius Winston. What a captain for Tom Izzo over the course of his four years. It's a shame that he didn't get a chance to go to another Final Four. That Elite Eight win that he led Michigan State uh, over Duke in 2019 will be something he'll always remember. And he'll go down as one of the greatest Spartans of all time. But I'm going with Kemba Walker at number one. The run that he had in 2011 for the national championship through the Big East was something I'll never forget. And I think it is of tremendous lore. He was an extension to Jim Calhoun, a tremendous captain for the Yukon Huskies. And he tops my list. Number one on the top 10 all-time captains for the last 10 years. And that'll do it for March Madness 365. As always, I appreciate all your engagement on all our social media platforms. I just got to give a shout out every week to our staff at Turner Sports, Chad Acock, 
Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and our entire team at NCAA.com that does a great job of repurposing this podcast in the written form. I deeply appreciate all that they are doing to help us get this podcast out. As always, I want you to all stay safe. We will talk again next week. Uh, And look, people are choosing to come back to college basketball. They're hopeful. I believe in it. We're going to have a season. Believe it. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk again next week.